Hello and welcome to this, our seventh episode, I can't believe I'm saying that, of the Thank You and Good Night podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Julia. And today we're diving into the marvelous Lenny Bruce. So as most of you who watch the show know, although I'm not going to say all, Lenny Bruce was a real comedian who is an icon in a lot of ways within the world of comedy, which complicates, I think, in a lot of ways, the way that we see the character of Lenny, or at least the way I see the character of Lenny. And so as we go through this episode, we're really going to take this in stages. The first, which I, I know we don't often have structure that works out the way I say at the beginning of the show during the show, but we're really going to try on this one. So first, we're going to talk about Lenny Bruce, the character within Maisel, making a clear distinction of the fact that this is a fictionalized version of a real person within a fictional story. Then we're going to spend some time talking about Lenny Bruce's portrayal by Luke Kirby. So how Luke Kirby compares to the real Lenny Bruce and his mannerisms and things. For that, we're going to be talking about a YouTube video. You can find the link to that certainly in the description. And when we give you at the end of the show our social media handles, we'll have links to it there in case you can't find it. And finally, we're going to end with talking about some of the real history of the real Lenny Bruce to give you a real sense of who the man actually was in the time that he lived. And so you get a sense of what Amy Sherman Palladino and Dan Panaldino really are taking from Lenny Bruce's real life, what they're choosing to ignore, and where they may be going. Throughout all of this, Julia and I are going to be talking a little bit about some of the theories fans have had about what Lenny is and is going to do, as well as what we either expect or think or, you know, depending on, on your view of things, fear, um, about where they're going to go with Lenny. Because to know Lenny Bruce's story is to know the tragic ending, which may or may not actually happen before the show finishes. Anything you want to add, my friend? I think you summed it up pretty well. Um, but we just have to bear in mind that Lenny Bruce is a very tragic human being with a very tragic existence. Um, and so far the show has done him beautifully um, and have has given him a lot of deference um, and, and respect, uh, the respect that he deserves. He was an amazing comic. We're going to talk a lot about his life and, and get into the incredible work that he did later on in, in the episode. Um, but... We're going to try and keep this as respectful as we possibly can because he was such a flawed character and and um, ultimately, you know, I personally believe that the show kind of sheds some light on this as well. we're going to kind of dive into the Lenny Bruce of the Maisalverse and, and really take a look at his character and how this fictionalized version of a tortured man really plays such an important role in the life of Midge developing her comedy career and becoming her own and, and really getting her footing in this world that he's ultimately starting to become very, very evidently disenchanted with. And so I think a good way to start this discussion is kind of to talk about where we are at within the Maisel universe and the time period right now and what we've already seen happen to Lenny Bruce thus far. So Emily, if you would like to go ahead and lead off and talking about where Lenny is at and how he's developing his relationship with Midge so far, please feel free. So I think there are two different pathways that we see. One is his career, and I think the other is his relationship with Midge. Because I think as, as his relationship with Midge grows stronger, we see his career start to fall into what we know in real life history becomes 
the period of his multiple arrests over and over and over again, which we will get into um, certainly when we talk about his real life. But for now, I'm just going to talk about what's been alluded to on the show, which you see with the arrest in that um, episode where uh, Abe gets arrested with him. So like the show is starting to show that period. We're certainly seeing his disenchantment with his career. And he's mentioning these arrests. We're seeing these arrests, right? And so all of this kind of, I'm getting blackballed, I'm getting blacklisted, I can't enter certain cities. All of this is really happening at the same time he's taking under his wing, if you will, at least creatively, this female comedian who's doing something very similar to what he is. It's a different style of comedy. If you, if you look at the comedy of the fictional Lenny, Certainly, if you look at the comedy, the real Lenny. But the fictional Lenny comedy on the show is pretty similar to the comedy Lenny Bruce did in real life. There, again, we'll talk about this a little more in a minute. But, um, you know, their comedy styles are different. Um, but what they're saying and trying to do on stage and how they're trying to push society forward through having uncomfortable conversations is similar enough. I think Lenny sees himself a little in Mitch. And I think that's part of the reason why he takes such an interest in Mitch. Other than the fact that he admits she's phenomenal. And I think there's a part of him that wants to be around someone whose star is that good, who isn't as jaded as he is. And, and I think that's really, for me, what I see is this intersection between a girl who is as good as he is, who could have a career that he's had or better, that he wants to be around to see. At the same time, he himself has become jaded by the system and kind of has really taken to heart what he tells her almost jokingly in the pilot, right? Which is, if I could be anything else, I'd do it, right? I, if someone told me that I could eat someone's head or do two weeks of the COBA, I'd say, pass the effing salt. Which, side note, is what I tell people when they ask, should they go to law school? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the answer is, don't do it. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to, you know, make light of things here, but I think that's almost a joke when he says it. I think he's doing it as a bit. And then I think it slowly becomes true by the time we see him in Miami and he says, maybe before I'm dead. But that's my view of it is that it's this tension between this light and this darkness it's definitely a tension between light and darkness. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's so particularly drawn to Midge because Midge is the light. And like you said, she is very new to this area. Obviously they first meet when she gets arrested for doing comedy. And I think he immediately relates because he sees so much of himself in her through the tenacity, through the drive, through the, the, the young passion, because we have to keep in mind, he was only 40 years old when he unfortunately passed on. So this, he sees this sense of life in her, which at this point, he's coming up at a stage in his career where the life is starting to drain from him, at least in real life. Now, again, I don't know if this is the direction that Amy Sherman Palladino is going, but with right, and all, we'll have that conversation in a minute. Right, but with all due, you know, deference to real Lenny Bruce's life, we're at the time period now where the downfall is starting, and this really is the beginning of the end for Lenny Bruce. So I think he does fundamentally appreciate all that she is because he sees a lot of himself in her. And he's also kind of excited to see what she will accomplish and the strides that she will be taking. I also have to point out as well, though, that like that first arrest in the midst of what is considered her first set, um, you know, for bearing her breasts, I feel like that is a lot of the limits that were pushed by Lenny Bruce in the first place. Not necessarily in the sense that obviously he would, you know you know, do something of that sort. But in terms of obscenity, I mean, every shtick he had was to push the limits on obscenity, to say something lewd and crude and provocative and make people really, really think um, 
outside of their conservative bubbles. And so Midge bearing her breasts was kind of the same sort of like obscene comedy, which is something that has gotten him into trouble so, so many times. Police knew what to expect. They were always ready to arrest him. She at least is able to uh, keep police on their toes because Mitch Maisel is a nobody. Lenny Bruce is a somebody. Well, and I I think this is a conversation we were having earlier today as we were prepping for this episode. And so I'm going to jump in here with a couple of things. The first thing I'm going to say is I think... So as you were alluding to in 1961 is really the beginning of the end in terms of his comedy career... That's when he started. Towards, yeah, that's, that's when, when he started getting. Happened, yeah, right? he started getting busted for drug possession right. and everything. He started like getting that. well for other things, but his main obscenity arrests that start this spiral is in like start in 1961, mm-hmm. and from 1961 to 1966, he's basically either doing a set and getting arrested, or appealing an arrest, or getting arrested for something else outside of of mm-hmm. comedy. So you're right, we have entered, depending on where exactly we are, we're sometime in 1960, maybe early 1961. We, we don't actually know. The show isn't that great with the timeline. Um, so we're entering the period. For all we know, the set he gets arrested with Abe could be that set, right? And that could be what Amy's hinting at, right? We certainly know he's talking about um, a date and an arrest to pay alimony and lawyer fees when we see him in Florida, Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we don't know how much of that Amy's already hinted at. We don't know how much she will hint at versus show. And that's, I want to be very clear. A lot of what we're going to say in this episode may be speculative. Um, but if you, but the conversation we personally were having earlier is I was pointing out that, you know, you're right. Cops were waiting for Lenny to say stuff. They knew he was going to say stuff. Because they either were there or had been called there or, I mean, to be honest with you, the first thing Lenny Bruce was arrested for saying on stage, and I apologize right now if we have anybody listening who hates bad language because I'm going to say what he was arrested for. Um, So if you don't like bad words, mute for a couple of seconds. But he was arrested for saying cocksucker, which if you think about what they get away with saying on Maisel is really tame. And that is in part thanks to what Lenny Bruce did on stage. It's in part to what his compatriots did on stage. And what a lot of people, including his friends that he called not quite ready for primetime players, which, yes, he coined that before SNL did. Fun fact. Um, You know, what they did to push things forward. And so, yes, Midge getting arrested for obscenity in her first set and then in her second set for talking about her grandmother wanting to fuck her boyfriend – Again, sorry for the language. Um, Honestly, that is very, very similar in tone to what Lenny Bruce said that he got arrested for, right? And grammatical depictions and and, and other – grammatical conversations about other things, which I won't get into because that's off topic here. And you you get a sense for some of this stuff. But, you know, I think the interesting thing here is you you make a point, right? Mitch Maisel is a nobody. But in her first two sets, cots are there to arrest her. And the cops never show back up again. Now, we know as she's gone on tour with Shy, she's tamed her stuff down a little bit, right? It's not not edgy, right? She has the whole set about her parents are coming the next night, so she has to talk about sex now, right? We see the blue night she does where she talks about her parents' sex life. So, like, we know it's not tame what she's saying, but it's also not as vulgar and obscene as it was at the first night. So that may explain part of the reason why she hasn't gotten arrested. But I also think it's interesting that even though her first two sets end with her getting arrested, the cops aren't there the third night. And the cops don't show back up. And maybe part of it is Mitch Maisel's a nobody and they don't care and Lenny Bruce was a somebody and they cared. Maybe part of it is the fact that in a nod to the real history of Lenny Bruce, she's keeping the arrests. And in the fictional world, she doesn't want Midge to get arrested. But And this is the point I was saying earlier, and maybe we can transition here to maybe talk a little bit about where we think the fictional Lenny is going vis-a-vis the real Lenny story. Mm -hmm. You know, at a certain point, she's kind of written herself into a corner here. And I don't mean this as a criticism. Because for Midge to be doing functionally similarly to what Lenny is doing and to be true to the real story of Lenny, you have to acknowledge that these arrests happened and they led to a very dark spiral that led to a very dark place, which ultimately led to him overdosing. 
And if Lenny Bruce is going to overdose within the universe of Maisel, right, if the fictional Lenny is going to do that, which we don't know if he is, right, we have no way of knowing if she's going to go there. We've certainly been hinted at the fact that this is not a happy ending, right, maybe someday before I'm dead, right? It's not out of the woods that this is going to happen. It's possible we never see it because that's 1966 and the show, as we mentioned, is maybe in 1961, right? And we don't know how long the show will last and how fast they're going to get to 1966 if they get there. Um, But if you're going to acknowledge the real darkness of Lenny's story, then you're going to have to acknowledge the arrests and the drug use and all that that meant. And conversely, it does mean that Mitch is going to have to reconcile with that. And if she's not getting arrested for doing the same things as Lenny, you're going to have to have a reason for that. And that's just kind of where I see this at the moment. It's like there is, for now, I definitely think you've been able to get away with it. It just depends on how much she's going to show and how much she's going to allude to and how deeply she's going to get it there. Because if Mitch Maisel is truly going to be the next greatest comedian, which is what I think the show is saying it wants for its heroine, Mm -hmm. then it's going to have to acknowledge Midge is going to get a happy ending and Lenny isn't. Right. And, And I think you raise a really good discussion here. And I... I'm going to be a little bit critical of Amy Sherman Palladino. I love the show, obviously, but I need to be a little bit critical here. I feel like she has written herself into a corner. And I worry about the direction it's going to take because she has said that she wants to adhere as much as she possibly can to the real Lenny. All of the sets are Lenny's real sets. Everything about Lenny Bruce's character, you know, the way that he is slowed down um, in comparison to the rest of the crazy Maisel-verse is very much Lenny Bruce. Um, and, And so I think she's trying to stick to Lenny as much as she possibly can. Now, there is a lot of pushback against this general mentality that you know this is the fictional Lenny Bruce and she can do what she wants with him and there are a lot of people who are hoping that she gives Lenny a happy ending um and there has been rumor that you know she is working closely with Lenny Bruce's daughter who has green lighted go ahead like go ahead rewrite Lenny do what you want blah 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 it would have made my father happy I don't know That's all speculative. But what I can say is that we definitely have an allusion to how tormented Lenny Bruce actually is as a person, be it whether he's sitting alone at the bar and Midge tells him that she will come on his playdate before he goes and does the all alone set. Whether it is, you know, where he's arrested and you see him getting into the taxi with his wife at the time who ended up leaving him. Whether it is in... I mean, it was a mutual thing. Right, but... They both they both had their demons, and both... For sure, for sure. Nonetheless, in, in respect to Lenny Bruce, I mean, there were a lot of fundamental issues. Like, real Lenny Bruce, there were a lot of fundamental issues with his marriage that, that we can address when we talk about him. Um, but then, like, even in Miami, like, it's very obvious that he is not doing well. He's living in a motel... He has no place that he's permanently living, right? He is very, very clearly dealing with this torment. Um, you know, hey, maybe someday before I'm dead. Um, and, and then, you know, you get this shot of him looking completely aloof. It's all kind of an allusion to what we know is to come of the real Lenny Bruce. So I think that Amy Sherman Palladino is giving him the respect that he deserves and the and, and his memory the respect that he deserves and is going to stick to who Lenny Bruce really was. But that also then unfortunately does have to include all of Lenny Bruce's demons. And it's going to have to become more in your face than just these little illusions that we get because we can't just see these little snippets and say, all right, that's it. Lenny Bruce 
lived a very hard life. Um, and so one of the things, you know, that I'm thinking about as she's, you know, giving these these nods to the real Lenny Bruce um, in, in this fictionalized Lenny Bruce is what we were talking about before with what is going to happen with Midge. Is Midge going to have to reconcile all of that? And unfortunately, she'll have to come to terms with the fact that Lenny Bruce is spiraling out of control. But going back to being a little bit critical of Amy Sherman Palladino, I think there's going to be a serious plot hole here in which Midge Maisel is going to rise and grow and while Lenny is going to have some sort of impact in her life in which this is going to fundamentally propel her career forward and this is going to shape how she views comedy and I personally think will use it as an opportunity to increase her level of ambition and become more um, tenacious as she's going through the comedic world um, and, and will do so in his memory. I feel like this is going to be in a vacuum in that there's not going to be the arrests for Midge. She's going to keep the same shtick, the the obscenity and what have you, and, and keep pushing on in Lenny's memory. But no matter how big she gets, she's going to be kind of living in a vacuum, if that makes sense. Like that she's not going to be exposed to the same torment because how could our heroine of our show be put in the same position as someone who had such a tragic end? Right. I agree with you. And here's my thing. I think the show has shown it's not afraid to pull the rug out from Mitch because we see her lose the tour. And so I don't think the show would be afraid of doing that to Mitch. I, I could see it happening. What I don't see is with the way that the show has built and built and built. Midge to end up as anything other than a very successful comedian at the end of the show. And I don't know how you'd reconcile Midge being that successful comedian, doing what she is currently doing in the form she is currently doing it with understanding the real Lenny Bruce's story and doing anything more than alluding to it within the context of the show. And that may be all Amy Sherman Palladino does. In which case, we as an audience have to sit there and reconcile it. It is, it is a fictional show. She does have the right to do with things what she wants. And if it ends before 1966, it ends before he dies. And you can get out of it that way. My thing is this. The show revolves around Midge. And I understand the show revolves around Midge. Lenny Bruce has never been anything other than a guest player on this show. I understand from reports he is going to be a bigger part of season four, but a bigger part of season four could mean anything from more than one or two episodes a season, which is what he's done now, right? You know, showing up in four episodes, if you're running a nine to 10 episode show, is still a guest actor for purposes of the Emmy category, right? Because it's considered, are you in 50% or fewer episodes of a show to be considered a guest, right? Um so it's possible he still remains a guest player even if he shows up more, right? And so that's important for us also to be aware of. It's like, this isn't even someone we're talking about as if we're talking about Moish and Shirley, who are more in the fabric of the show than Lenny Bruce is, right? We're having this conversation, I think, and a lot of people have the conversation about Lenny Bruce in the show, I think, because he is a real person. Unlike Sophie Lennon, who is an amalgamation of a lot of different comedians at the time, but isn't any of them, right? Amy Sherman Palladino could have made the conscious choice to pull in someone like a Joan Rivers rather than an original creation for Sophie Lennon, and she didn't. So why is she using Lenny Bruce, the real Lenny Bruce? And that's a conversation the show has not really answered yet. Right? We know Amy loves to make allusions to pop culture. You could have made allusions all day long to Lenny Bruce. We know she likes to show some authenticity of the time period from other things we've seen. But you could have done that without picking Lenny Bruce. 
The show is clearly saying something by using a fictionalized version of a real person, and more than that, picking one of the most easily recognizable and iconic comedians of that era, who is also equally known for his demons. And the show hasn't said what it's doing up until this point with that. And at some point, those cards are going to have to be played. And I think that's going to come into play with how much or how little we're going to see. And, and I, I think that gives an interesting point to transition the conversation a little bit because there are a lot of really interesting fan theories, which I did want to dive into because I think it's fundamental to understand the direction the show will take. I know that one of the reasons why Lenny is going to play a more prominent role in season four is because he is a fan favorite. I know that initially there was no plan for Lenny to appear in more than a couple episodes of the entire show, just like some of the other actual name dropped characters. Uh, well, like real people transformed into fictionalized characters have. Um, and and so I, we definitely need to approach this from the lens of fan theory as well, because it's definitely a driving force as to why we see as much of Lenny as we do. So one of the fan theories that I... Right, but she wouldn't be putting him in if she wasn't doing oh, it for a reason. Like, there's nothing ASP does that uh, ASP doesn't A hundred percent. And I think it's really an interesting direction. And, and she she definitely does rely, you know, so much on the, the, the acclaim that exists. And I think part of that has to do with Luke Kirby, but we will get there eventually. Um, so one of the first really interesting fan theories that I saw um, was that... ASP loves A Star Is Born, which, true, um, I did not know this until recently, but ASP loves A Star Is Born. And so what I've gleaned from this fan theory is that people uh, anticipate that, you know, Lenny Bruce will, you know, be the tormented, like, rock star-esque, which is a fact. Lenny Bruce was indeed very tormented. Um, and Midge will be the protege and really you know, get her wings to fly from him and, and learn from him and kind of develop this relationship with him and end up falling, they'll end up falling in love. Um, and, and then she will be tragically let down by his death. Um, I personally, um, do not think that that is the route that ASP is going to go. Um, that song has been played three times over already, and I don't think that it's going to happen again in a TV. Technically, there are four versions of it, but yeah. that You're right. You're right. There are four. We can't forget. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think that that's the direction she is choosing to go. I, I, and I'm not just saying that because we all know where I stand with, with, you know, my love of Midge and Joel. I, I just fundamentally do not believe that in light of the actual human being that was Lenny Bruce and in giving all due deference and respect to Lenny Bruce's life and legacy, is she going to take that route with his character and, and allow something so tragic like that to happen? Nor do I think that in, in terms of Midge's growth as a comic is she going to allow that to happen because we see so much emphasis placed on Midge becoming independent and growing and and to experience Lenny Bruce's death if we get to that point but even to experience Lenny Bruce's downfall is going to hit her so hard as his mentee um, and as his friend that it's going to shift the way she views comedy Whereas if she was in a relationship with Lenny Bruce, that would be a totally different ballgame. I'm going to say a couple of things here. And the first thing I'm going to say is from how I see the show in terms of mentee and mentor. Um, and then the second thing I'm going to say is what my sister made me promise I'd say. And it honestly, is a really interesting insight. Um, so the first thing I'm going to say is, and we had this conversation a little bit earlier, is... I honestly feel like if we're really going to play out A Star is Born, the real mentor in the situation is Susie, not Lenny. Because who has been by Midge's side this whole time building Midge up into who Midge is now? Susie is very troubled, right? We last leave her literally committing arson and insurance fraud 
to try and help Mitch. No, I, I'm like, I, you know, like, it's not like Susie has had this wonderful, rosy life, right? It's not that Susie isn't this dark and troubled person who is taking... Right, well, her life in the Rockaways is perfectly indicative of how horrible her life was. Right, and so it's not like we don't have already that kind of mentor-mentee relationship. Now, it's a lot closer to friends by this point than it is mentor-mentee, as is, by the way, Lenny and Mitch. They're a lot closer to friends now than they were at the beginning. So there's that aspect of it. And like the argument as to who would make her a star, I think Susie is as much of a player in that. The second thing I'm going to say is, and I'm going to preface this with, my sister is a screenwriting minor in college. So she's taken several screenwriting courses and this is why she has the opinion she does. My sister wants her in a romantic relationship with Lenny Bruce because storytelling wise, that's the more interesting thing. That from a storytelling perspective, more things could happen. Now, I as a human being, to your point, and she to this point, understands that this is a real human being we're talking about who is being fictionalized. And like there is a moral and ethical conversation you have to have when you're talking about do we put this fictionalized version of this real person in a relationship with this fictional character we've completely created. And so there is that conversation. Her point about it being the more interesting storytelling perspective is to your point of it's a whole different ballgame. What does it mean for Midge the comedian that Lenny Bruce ends up the way that Lenny Bruce ends up? But what does it mean for Lenny? But what would it mean for a friend versus for someone who at some point loved him? Whether it be when he dies or before he dies or they had a loving relationship or it ended horribly because Lenny Bruce did in real life have a very chaotic love life, right? There's no guarantee if he ends up with Midge it's Sunshine and Roses either, right? Like that's also, I think, an important point to point out. Nowhere is the show saying if they get together, it will end happily, right? They could get together and he could still die. And so... I personally, and, and I, I, I've said this before, I'm very uncomfortable with the thought of a fictionalized version of anyone being in love with any fictional character whatsoever. Just because I personally get a little freaked out with even like fictionalized versions of real people in relationships. Like, you know, The Crown sometimes, not to like hawk another show, but like sometimes on The Crown, I'm a little bit like, ooh, this is making me a little uncomfortable here. Same. Because they're fictionalized Same. versions of real people, right? Like the whole Charles, Diana, and Camilla plotline in season four, I'm like, uh-uh. Nope. Itchy. It's itchy. It's itchy. Yeah, exactly. And so I'd be itchy if Midge was real and this was a biopic, right? Like yeah, I'd still be itchy. For sure. So like this, I, I, it, that for me comes down to that position. But anyway. Let's move on to the next fan theory. Um, but yeah, those are those are my thoughts. And my sisters who required me to include this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I'm with you. Um, I, I'm totally with you. And um, I agree 100% with everything you said. Uh, <laughs> Anna just wanted the counter argument thrown in here. And she has the counter argument. <laughs> it's, I mean, she brings up a really good point. I think it's very appropriate. Um but uh, another fan theory um, that, you know, I, I've seen floating around, and this is perhaps the more prevalent of the fan theories, is that ASP is going to totally re rewrite Lenny Bruce as his own entirely fictionalized character, um, which first I want to kind of just... Again, I know this is speculative, but I kind of wanted to debunk that from, like, a steady observer perspective. She is trying to play it as true to the Lenny Bruce real human being aspect as she possibly can. Um, between, you know, the fact that his marriage didn't work out, the fact that he is getting arrested, we see that he's using drugs because he was very happily smoking weed, so you know, not to say that he's obviously doing other drugs, but like he uses drugs. We know he uses drugs. We get these very depressive bouts from him. 
we see that he's really, really a tormented individual uh, and is really struggling with his identity in the comedy world. And we also, you know, see how fed up he is with the way that the cards are constantly stacked against him because no matter what he does to really shape the system, he is not remembered fondly by critics and by, you know, his audiences just based on the obscene sets that he's putting out. So he was really trying to shake up the world, but he was also paying the price for shaking up the world of comedy. And you really just get the sense of how deep of a toll it's taking on him. And it really reaches its head so far from that scene, the very last scene in Miami, where we see him brooding at the very, very end and and really pondering his life and the possibility of his death because you can tell that that is what he is doing. So I don't think she's going to go the route of totally rewriting him as a fictionalized character just out of pure respect for the life that he had to live. Well, I think from what we've seen on the show thus far in terms of how closely she's hewed to what he's actually said, in terms of like the sets up there and the fact that she's honoring honoring that, I think indicates that even if she writes it more fictionalized going forward, he's never going to be completely fictionalized. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember. That even if she is choosing to show us certain parts of his personality and is choosing to ignore others, that is an interpretation and it is fictionalizing him. But it's also... Um, but it's also not choosing to completely fictionalize him either. And so I think right. even if she were to give him a different ending, which I don't know if she will, um, I, I, I don't think it'll be a completely fictional character. Because like that's the other thing we're going to get to in a little bit when we talk about the comparison of Luke Kirby's Lenny Bruce doing Steve Allen and actual Lenny Bruce doing Steve Allen. You, you can tell. But there is a real honoring of the original and a real honoring of the craft of Lenny Bruce. Separate from honoring him as a human being, that there is a real respect on this show for Lenny Bruce, the comedian. Right. A hundred percent. And I, I actually think um, that that would be a good place to kind of talk about, like, go into this transition about Luke Kirby as Lenny Bruce and kind of the respect that's given from the entirety of this show, um, you know, from Luke Kirby's portrayal to ASP's writing to, you know, every ounce of deference that is given to Lenny Bruce. I, I think it's really important that we kind of do a side-by-side -side comparison. So let's go ahead and dive on into that. <laughs> So I think we're going to start with um, pointing out, I think, the YouTube video, right? I think that's a great place to start, especially because that really does lay the foundation for, you know, fictional Lenny Bruce versus real Lenny Bruce. So there is a YouTube video Julia's going to give a shout out to in a second, which you can find either in the link. The link in the description of this podcast episode, if the way that you're listening provides a description. If not, again, at the end of every episode, we provide you our social handles. We'll make sure that the link is in our post about this episode um, so you can access it. That goes that a wonderful person on YouTube. Uh, Stubby7923, thank you so much for making this video. Um, goes through and actually lays out side by side real footage of the real Lenny Bruce doing the real set at the real Steve Allen show. I know I keep saying real and it's getting annoying, but I'm trying to emphasize this here. Um, and then Luke Kirby as Lenny Bruce within the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel doing their version of the same all alone set. So Julia, do you want to start with what you find the most striking or important or what you want to start, you know? chronicling here to really give a sense of just not only how true Amy's writing is in hewing to the comedic words that came out of Lenny Bruce's mouth, but also how important what Luke does, both channeling and then honoring 
as well as bringing his own tiny individualistic flair to it. Yeah, um, so I just want to start this off with a little bit of an anecdote from um, Papa Mazelis, which was kind of funny. And um, he said, you know, that Luke Kirby does a better better Lenny Bruce than Lenny Bruce did himself. Um, and I think that's a really interesting point. And I think this is a lot of what Maisel fans are starting to see with Luke Kirby's portrayal of Lenny Bruce. And so let's analyze a little bit. In this video, um, again, which we have linked, first you see a little snippet of Lenny Bruce um, giving his all-alone bit. And then after a few seconds, maybe 15 seconds worth of the real Lenny Bruce footage, it'll transition over to Luke Kirby as Lenny Bruce doing the same set. And what is so unbelievably striking about these two performances is that when you're watching them, you're watching almost the same exact performance, sans Luke Kirby having a little bit better of a singing voice than real Lenny Bruce had. And it is amazing to me that Luke Kirby has gone to the lengths to really master the character of Lenny Bruce. You're not even, when you watch Luke Kirby act this out, you're not even watching Luke Kirby acting out Lenny Bruce. You are watching Lenny Bruce. And I think that says so much about the respect that this show is giving to Lenny Bruce's memory, because it's evident within the pacing of Luke's delivery of Lenny's all alone set. It's present in all of the mannerisms. He has the same lilt of his voice and he mimics the actions perfectly timed to the, the words that he is speaking. He has the same effective pause, which is so important for a good comedic set to, you know, utilize pause. And he does it in the exact same way that Lenny Bruce did. There really is no deviation between this aside, like I said, from, you know, the little vocal quality here and there and Luke Kirby having a better singing voice, the delivery is almost identical. And, and so I think this says a lot to what Luke Kirby as an actor is doing in, in studying Lenny Bruce so heavily to be effective in his portrayal and to really be convincing so that you think you are actually watching Lenny Bruce and not Luke Kirby as Lenny Bruce. And I think building off on this, you see it in that particular set. And I'm sure if you were to compare some of the sets we've heard him give, like the Jesus and Moses set, I'm sure if you go find the actual Lenny Bruce recording of it, it's similarly equally delivered. If there is a recording of that set. I know not all of Lenny Bruce's stuff was recorded, but I know a large portion of it was. Um, but I think there's something to be said so much for the fact that he's that Luke Kirby manages to play both the fictional Lenny Bruce conversations with Midge and the real recreations of things like All Alone in the exact same way. There isn't a deviation between the Lenny we see that is his Lenny doing Lenny and the Lenny we see of the fictional Lenny that he's inserted into this universe. That he isn't saying these are two separate people and he isn't giving two separate performances and it's not mimicry. And I think that's what stands out to me when you watch them side by side is you're right. There's not a whole lot different in the delivery. There's just enough different that you understand this isn't mimicry, that this is respect and homage and an understanding of this man and his comedy and his timing. But it's also a respect that understands I cannot copy and that copying cheapens this man. And that's really, really clear and evident. And the fact that he's able to transition that person in that all alone set equally into that club in Miami and the conversations he has with Midge on that Miami boardwalk, which he does, they're the same person, I think is so telling of the actor as a particular, as a particular skill. I mean, I think his Emmy is particularly well-deserved. I, 
I'm sure we'll talk about this more when we have our conversation about the acting on the show and the actors on the show, because we will at some point have that because we've talked about it a lot. There's a reason why the show gets as many acting nominations as it does. I wish it would get more. As you and I have both discussed in real life, the fact that no one nominates Michael Zegan is really sad. Not because, like, I feel bad that he's the one main member of the five who's constantly left out, but also, because <laughs> I do, but also because he's he playing doesn't... such a different person from himself and he does it so well. Anyway, this isn't about Michael well, Zegan, no, but no, I, no, <laughs> my angry he rant. Anchors, he anchors in a lot of ways, but like, there's a reason why the show gets acting nominations and mm-hmm. there's a reason why it wins so many awards. And I think Luke's Lenny is such a good example of why that is is that he's managed to capture the actual sense of who this person is without copying it or cheapening it or doing anything other than respecting it. And if you're going to fictionalize a real human in your story, that's the way you should do it. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I think it even comes out to when they're in Miami and they're doing that late night whatever it is, which is supposed to mimic Hugh Hefner's Playboy penthouse. Um, Obviously, that's not his original shtick when he brings Midge in, right? Like, there might have been, you know, elements of Tennessee Williams. The Tennessee Williams bit is something I've heard before. That might have been. So we did that. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that has happened, you know, perhaps on Hugh Hefner's Playboy's penthouse. But all of that interacting with Midge still has that same authenticity of a conversation that Lenny Bruce would genuinely be having with another person. And so I think we're drawing a fundamental, um, you know, a bit of clarity here from this in that Luke Kirby is doing everything that he possibly can, like you said, not to mimic, but rather to pay homage to all that is Lenny Bruce. And I think a lot of it has to do with the brilliant writing as well. There's no doubt in my mind that a lot of it is because of the brilliant writing that exists to create this parallel between real Lenny and Luke Lenny. Um, But I think a lot of it just has to do with how well acted, because if anyone else were playing this role, I do not think that it would be as convincing of an interpretation of Lenny Bruce as someone who has studied Lenny Bruce the way Luke Kirby has to give him the respect that he deserves. Oh, it's 100% Luke Kirby. Um, And I think with that, since we're hitting the 47 minute mark, we should probably transition to talking about the real Lenny Bruce. I think that's perfect. So in our final section here, we're obviously not going to do a huge, massive history lesson Um, or a deep dive into the bio. And we've also kind of talked a little bit already about some of the major biographic details of Lenny Bruce's life. But we think it's important, as we've had the conversation this entire time, um, alluding to some of his demons and his darkness and his story, that we actually telegraph for you, for those of you who aren't as aware as authors, which is totally fair and valid, um, you know, what exactly Lenny Bruce's life was and... um, Unfortunately, the fact that he did die of an overdose in 1966 at the age of 40 while um, waiting for his appeal on an obscenity charge in the state of New York. Since Julie and I are both in the process of becoming lawyers, I figured we should start this section because it's going to be a little dark with a fun fact that both of us would appreciate. I don't know if she actually knows this, but the since we both want to be lawyers in the state of New York, I figured this would be appropriate. You ready? I'm ready. Lay it Do on you me. know? <laughs> Do you know that Lenny Bruce is the first person in the state of New York to receive a state-level posthumous pardon? I did know that. I did, okay. because as I was going through my research for Lenny Bruce, because I, I wanted to also be able to talk about the real Lenny Bruce with a lot of respect, um, I did know that. Um, and, I yeah, I mean, I found that really interesting. I, I For whatever reason that came about for that pardon, because um, it, it happened 
quite a few years after his it was, death. Yeah, I think 2000, it's either 2003 or 2013. I'm forgetting which I number comes was in two, front of the three. I think it was 2003. But it was two zero blank three. It was 2003. <laughs> anyway. An extended period of time after his death. Irrespective, whenever that happened. Um, 47 years later. <laughs> it was a long time after he died. No, seriously. And uh, no, 37 years. 37. <laughs> we, we are doing really I was doing well. We are doing really well. Um, we're doing so. We've been recording for two hours at this point. I went horse 45 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like, for real, I mean. If you consider how long it took after the fact for him to be pardoned, um, you know, for his obscenity, which in the grand scheme of things, everything he said is nothing compared to what we talk about today. Um, I think that says a lot to like the groundbreaking work that Lenny Bruce had done um, and why he was so apt on getting you know fundamental change within the system because he was such a big first amendment guy he touched all topics like from his jewish identity to the legal system to politics to communism to everything i mean he really hit it all racism racism he hit it all and he didn't shy away from it and i think that's what you know made him so special and put him up there with people like Richard Pryor and George Carlin. You know, he he did such incredible work to really shape the face of comedy and, um, you know, make freedom of speech such a fundamental, you know, part of the First Amendment, something that we were willing to incorporate into our society in the midst where speech was so heavily limited because of things like McCarthyism. He did not care. He did not shy away from it. He was trying to build a movement which allowed people to say what they wanted to say without the consequence of the repercussions that he would face. Well, I think it's also telling, and I say this, one, as a musical theater lover, and two, as someone who's already made this joke already on this podcast, but I, I think it, I think there's something so telling in the fact that he gets a shout out in the song Levy Bohem and Rent, which is this tribute to counterculture and what counterculture means and what it contributes and all of these different pioneers in different ways. Sorry, I'm, um, I'm going a little hoarse. <clears throat> Um, and what it means in all of these different ways that all of these different figures or landmarks or whatever have moved the culture forward, that it's, he gets his tribute along with Langston Hughes, the poet from Harlem, um, of the 1920s and the great Harlem Renaissance. And, and I think we think now of Langston Hughes as one of the greatest American poets. And I think it's telling that the only comedian who really gets a serious mention in Levy Bohem is Lenny Bruce. Mm -hmm. And it's in the same breath. Mm -hmm. And I think to your point of like what he did along with these other comedians to move the needle of culture and to move the needle of speech really is a tribute to that power. Mm -hmm. um, the thing I will also say about Lenny Bruce is what I think is true of every human being, which is we are complicated people. And that we are difficult people and that we all have our darkness and we all have our demons. And when things happen, we respond in different ways to them. Mm -hmm. And I think for Lenny, in real life, it was turning to substance addiction, which a lot of people do and is an illness and there's absolutely no shame in. Mm -hmm. And I want to make that very, very clear. Um, that it's a serious disease and there's, you know, mm -hmm. there are treatments for it now. Um, not saying that there weren't necessarily then, but I'm saying the way that we think of it now is very different than the way that we think of it, we thought of it then. Certainly, if nothing else. And I think that's a part of the story is how people cope and what it does mean for people to be put in these situations. I mean, we've talked a lot in this conversation about the fact Lenny Bruce dies at a very young age, relatively speaking, um, under tragic circumstances. He dies of a drug overdose because of his drug addiction, 
during his time appealing his obscenity charge after he had spent five years being arrested off and on and profiled and hounded down to the point where his career started to dwindle because of what he was saying on stage and he coped with it by developing a substance addiction that got more and more and more severe and that is horrific and it is awful and it's something that we as human beings look at and feel I think rightfully ashamed we allowed something like that to happen and that the legal system allowed something like that to happen and, and allows far worse to this day I mean Lenny Bruce was white I can't even imagine if he wasn't and so, or well, you know, you know what I mean. I, I, I think he would identify as white. He certainly is not of the kind where current police brutality issues are an issue. Right. I, I, I understand that not everyone who's Jewish is white or identifies as white. So I'll, I'll put that asterisk on there. I don't mean to, I, I don't mean to categorize someone as something that they're not. Um, I'm trying to be a good ally. And I'm working on myself. Um, I'm sorry. You're doing great. This is, this is a tangent, and I'm really sorry. No, you're doing great. Um, we can cut it. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, you know, and I, I think that's a conversation that we're having here, right? Like, And it wasn't like his substance addiction was new when he got arrested in 1961. I mean, we alluded to the fact that he had a difficult marriage. He and his wife were both at various times arrested for drug possession. He yeah. and his wife also had a really interesting past as well because his wife was a stripper. And so Lenny Bruce also ended up getting arrested because he, and this is why he started getting labeled as a crazy man. He literally robbed clergy. and He did not rob the clergy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he he allegedly. A quasi-pyramid scheme he, that no one could say was him robbing. <laughs> he allegedly robbed the clergy via his pyramid scheme. And, okay, but I will say this. He dressed this up. the greatest defense in the history of legal defenses. So when you're done, I'm going to tell you. Okay, deal. But he, he dressed up as members of the clergy to solicit donations from willing folk in order to make his lifestyle with his wife work out so she no longer had to resort to stripping. So I mean, like that in and of itself just is, first of all, a peak testament to the type of person he was because that's pretty selfless to put it all on the line to do that to get your wife out of a, you know, cabaret setting. But also, I mean, it's just, it says a lot about his character in general, about his brushes with the law and how he disregards it in the sense that our moral compasses would otherwise have us allow. Okay, I'm going to tell you what the defense was because I'm obsessed with this defense. It is my favorite thing in the history of legal history. I'm I'm dead serious. Like, I'm, I'm not, I, it's not, but I, I'm obsessed. Okay, every law school student should hear this story. So here's what his defense was. He didn't steal the clergy outfits from the clergy. He worked as a launderer, like he worked in a laundry place. And these were materials that were left behind by the clergy. He established a charity legally. He filed the legal paperwork in the state of New York. This was a legal charity he established. It was not a scam. It was not a fraud. It was a legal charity. The charity it was raising money for, or the particular group of island people who were suffering from a particular natural disaster. And he was raising money for, really existed. There really was a natural disaster. So you couldn't say that he was raising money with this real charity for a fake cause. It was also what his charity was registered to do. And here's the real kicker. He didn't send all of them. He didn't save all of the money for himself. He sent a, he sent a portion to the real people who he really said he was really <laughs> going to help. So he only kept quote unquote overhead, which was legal in the state of New York. God, it's unreal. I am obsessed with this. <laughs> what a master of legal finagling. That is my point. If we really want to have a conversation about how smart Lenny Bruce was, the man did that. <laughs> I mean, really, um, his brilliance abounds. It, it it absolutely abounds. And and it could only be Lenny Bruce who could do something so crafty and, uh, 
you know, quick-witted as that in the midst of his comedic mastery. Well, and I would like to point out, while we're on the conversation about his wife's former profession, which, again, no judgment. Zero judgment. Economic situ- there is absolutely no judgment. And it seems like in that particular case, it was economic desperation, which unfortunately is still a thing that drives that industry today. Separate from individuals have choices and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's interesting the first time we see Lenny Bruce is in the pilot where Joel takes Midge to a cabaret. And he's introducing and he's in between the cabaret sets. Mm-hmm. Which in real life, Lenny Bruce did do that. Mm-hmm. He did. So there is an explicit reference to this in Maisel. Those were also the only places that would have Lenny Bruce. Now at that time, whenever Midge and Joel were courting one another, whenever that was, maybe not not yet at that point, but like that was, those were the only gigs that Lenny Bruce could get. So I feel like. Right. But I'm just also pointing out that like there is an explicit, like yeah. that part of Lenny Bruce's career is, is not actually highlighted mm-hmm. on the show. Yeah, totally. Back to our, the show does a, does a fair amount to point out real Lenny Bruce stuff. Totally. Um, just just pointing that out. I'd also like to point out he was only ever on television six times. Yep. Steve Allen and Hugh Hefner are two of the six. So at this point, Maisel has covered a third of his televised appearances. Mm-hmm. Which I think is also interesting. Because I think we have this idea, and particularly in comparison to the other comedians who have gotten name-checked on this show... Um, I'm thinking in particular of uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May, Mm -hmm. who get name-checked in Mm 1-6, that there's the whole bit about Nichols and May. Mm -hmm. I think we get the sense that, like Nichols and May, that there were several television appearances for Lenny Bruce, and that Lenny Bruce, you know, in a lot of ways, was this big icon, because he is now. And while it's certainly true there were a lot of recordings of Lenny Bruce, like there were Nichols and May and others, he was not on television as much, mainly because you had to clear everything he said with the network censors and lawyers ahead of time. Mm-hmm. And that was something he didn't want to play ball with, right? Like the idea of like, do you want someone to stand outside your play date? He didn't want to play ball with the other kids mm-hmm. because that wasn't who he was. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing is the cultural idea of his outs. Not saying that it's an outsized impact, but I, it's almost like a Madala effect, like the, where you expect, you think you see something that isn't actually there. I think there's this expectation that he had more televised appearances that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, like a Nichols and May. Um, which I'd like to point out that I'm surprised that's not somebody else that's more frequently brought up on Maisel. I know we're talking about Lenny Bruce here. Um, and we'll get back to Lenny Bruce, the real Lenny Bruce in a second. But I would say not obviously as obscene as Lenny Bruce, but similarly in terms of the cultural push mm-hmm. they were both trying to make. I feel like stylistically they're also similar to Midge. That like if Lenny Bruce is one mirror that is clearly being held up to Midge, I feel like Nichols and May is the other. Because at least from a social satire point of view, they were really pushing. Mm-hmm. Counterculture. But anyway. No, that's I'm true. I'm going to get off that tangent. I'm just going to get off that tangent. <laughs> I'm just going to get off that tangent now. But, like, just, I'm just saying, like, they clearly were far less obscene. But. That's true. That's true. But also you can argue maybe perhaps that Midge is becoming less obscene than. She is. Lenny Bruce. Because, like, even when she's talking about, like, birth control, right, that's not something that's really considered obscene per se. It's just more so. She, I mean, she. She pushes a lot of limits, especially for a woman of her time. Sex with sexy men. Especially for a woman of her time. Um, And yeah, so. I wouldn't say that's nearly as obscene, though, as what we know she says in the Catskills. She says a lot of things in the Catskills, which are not kosher. Sorry for the Jewish joke. I needed to put it in there, but. (laughs) Well, and the fact that Lenny Bruce, one of his obscenity charges was for, you know, a Yiddish for male genitalia. 
It is one of the obscenity. That was one of the times he was arrested. I'm not kidding. Yes, he did uh, say schmuck. And that's in the grand scheme of things is not that bad. <laughs> and that's my point. Like, he was arrested for how many times has schmuck been said on Maisel? Um, I'm Jewish, you schmuck. AKA my favorite quote ever. <laughs> well, that's my point. Um, that, that was the thing he was really arrested for. I'm not kidding. Um, but I was going somewhere and I lost my train of thought and this happens. It's okay. We're getting to oh, that time. There's too. a noticeable, there's a no, uh, yeah, we can wrap up here. There's a noticeable thawing that we see between when she says what she says in front of her father, <laughs> which we only really find out in pieces what exactly she said. Mm-hmm. Cause we get parts of that set as she's doing it. We get some truly horrific parts as she's doing it. But they're also mainly about her mother, and they're pretty veiled. Right. Like, they're not that obscene. But we know she actually says what she says in the third season when they're all sitting around, and they're literally having a conversation about penises. Exactly. (laughs) And so you know she said something totally inappropriate and crass. And then you see sex with sexy men and birth control. And and that's like, I'm not going to say tame in the 1960s said by a woman in that particular setting in front of a Shia Baldwin show. Like, not saying that that's tame. Also, not saying that it's, you know, talking about your father's penis on stage. <laughs> also, consider the venue, because the venue is determinative of what you can say. And I think that's also why she realizes that she needs to mellow out in the context of Shy Baldwin versus, you that's know, true. when she's in the Catskills and just talking to a room of strangers and doesn't realize that her father is going to be there. Oh, no, she does realize. That's the thing, is it gets worse when she sees him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up here. Yeah. All right. So tune in next time where we're talking about the second major relationships in Midge and Joel's life that we see on the show. Namely, Midge's relationship with Benjamin, so Benjamin, and Joel's relationship with May, so May. Until next time, you can find us on social media where I am individually at Mazelis on Twitter. And I'm at The Weissman. Or you can follow our collective social media accounts on Instagram and Twitter at T-Y-A-N-D-G-N-Pod, as in podcast. We'll also be posting on both of those social medias and probably our own personal ones the link to the YouTube video we talked about earlier. So until next time, neither one of us are Mrs. Maisel. Thank Thank you. you. And And good good night. night.